Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. In this episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, I'm going to be teaching you how to set effective limits in five simple steps. Now, this episode is a replay of a recording of a Facebook live I did a couple years ago. And I just couldn't leave this process, this kind of step-by-step process that I share in like moldering away in Facebook lives. So I wanted to move it on over here to the podcast so that you can get started on setting effective, but empathetic and compassionate limits with your kids in just five quick steps. Now, this process is the process that I teach in my Respectful Parenting 101 course, except that there is one extra step that I've added that only my course members will know about. And it is actually the one that is really critical to a uncomplicated and authentic relationship with your child. So if you're interested in that last step, you're going to have to join the course. It's still open for just a couple more days. I hope you come and join me. If you just go to laurafroyan.com slash RP 101, that stands for Respectful Parenting 101. That's the name of my course. Um, I'll welcome you in there with open arms. I can't wait to see you in there. If you're not ready to take that big jump, don't worry. I've got your back. Um, This episode is going to teach you exactly what you need in order to set effective limits. And if after listening to this episode, you're ready to take it to the next level, come and join us in Respectful Parenting 101. Okay, let's get to the episode. Today, we're going to be talking about setting effective limits uh, at any age in five simple steps. Now, of course, you guys know that it's not always going to be simple, but I'm going to simplify things for you just from an understanding perspective. And then the actual implementation might not be always so easy. We know that as parents, that things aren't always easy. And this week, we're going to be focusing on parenting um, and specifically on effective limit setting. This is something that I teach in my classes that I do locally here in Madison and um, with my private clients. 
And when we have more time, a part of this process is really um, offering information and um, insight into child development and um, parenting research. And I use this information to help parents um, make a series of sometimes subtle but powerful mindset shifts. Um, that's really mindset shifting is um, the core of my work. And so I, we won't have time to do that because it does take a little bit more time uh, to get to those mindset shifts, but we are going, I'm going to touch on them and I'm going to give you some resources for where you can go to get more information on those shifts that need to happen when it comes to limit setting with our kids. Um, but um, I guess that's one thing that I always encourage is for us to approach these parenting situations, especially the difficult ones with a certain amount of curiosity and beginner's mind where we are looking at our children um, with no filter of our own experiences and then we take a look at ourselves too. And um, I'm more also going to kind of keep this a little bit more general so that um, and kind of touch on um, some core principles on limit setting that are um, kind of go across ages. I've been getting some feedback that people want to hear a little bit more about setting limits with older children um, too so I'll give a few examples with that as well. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with setting limits. So we hear all the time that children um, want firm limits, that they desperately crave firm boundaries, but at the same time, they push back against them and they push our buttons too. Um, and sometimes it's really, really hard to get them to listen. This is something that I hear from parents all the time, that they really want their kids to listen. And one of the first pieces of mindset that I will touch on a little bit today is this idea of listening and um, how that relates, relates to um, a sense of obedience, which I think is what we really want. We've been trained in our culture to desire obedience from our kids, to really value it. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure that if we looked deeply at our goals for our children, if that obedience is what we would really want. Um, so... I personally want to raise a child who will push back against social norms that no longer serve our culture, that will um, question authority in a respectful way, right? And um, it will think for herself and not just go with the flow. Um, so I would love to hear what your goals are um, for your kids. Do we want, um, you know, are you, if you're, you want kind of just blind obedience right now from your kids, which I totally understand, go ahead and put a one. And if you're wanting, um, if there are other goals that you have for your kids, put a two. So if you're wanting them to be free thinkers, um, to be leaders, um, to um, question authority a little bit respectfully, go ahead and put a two and maybe add in some of your goals. So um, the first thing that I do with my clients when we talk about limit setting is um, encourage them to make a, sometimes a major and sometimes subtle mindset shifts around their children's behavior. Now, um, this can take more time than we have today, right now, um, but I will link with a few articles and resources that can help. But ultimately, what it boils down to is the fact that much of our children's frustrating behavior um, is actually evidence of their normal and healthy development, and it's something to kind of marvel at at times. Um, so uh, we can focus on the fact that this behavior means that they're developing well and normally, uh, and that they are, um, that it's not personal, that it's developmental, and that um, they are not giving us a hard time, they are having a hard time. So those are some kind of mantras to have in your head when it comes to seeing this behavior happening in front of you. And that's another piece of it too. Sometimes their bad behavior ha feels like it's happening to us, like they're, um, they are dumping water on the floor at us. Um, and it's important to remember that this behavior is happening in front of us. It's not happening to me, it's happening in front of me, if that makes sense. 
All right, we have some stuff rolling in. Um, it looks like Bethany says, too, I want my kids to think for themselves and not allow anyone to push them around at any point in their lives. Beautiful. Yes, this is what we want. And it's hard to create this tension of we need our kids to follow our limits and um, follow the boundaries that we set for them. But at the same time, we do want to encourage them to be free thinkers. And this is, again, where that concept, I've talked about it before, of the both and of parenting. We want them to both follow our limits for their safety um, and for their well-being and encourage free thinking. And um, the way we set limits can really determine our, how we navigate that both and. Um, let's see. Erica says two for sure, but having dif difficulty with the respectful part. And so, yes, Erica, you're not alone. Sometimes the tone that my children use with me is um, shocking. And there's almost this like visceral reaction to it, um, especially if you grew up in a household where you were, were told, stop that right now you know, speak to me respectfully and respectful tones were treated as an emergency. Um, then when we get a disrespectful tone to us, um, you know, given to us by our kids, it feels triggering. Um, and so one thing that can be really helpful with that is to remind yourself that this is a developmental stage and that they will learn respect by being shown respect. Um, so that the modeling of respect is one of the most powerful teachers that we can use for children. And so if we treat them and speak to them in a respectful tone of voice, um, they might not always have the self-regulation skills um, because being respectful does take a lot of self-regulation. So they might not yet have the self-regulation skills to always talk with us re um, with respect, but they are learning how to do that by watching us. Um, and so being confident that they will, this is a skill that they can gain and that it's a growing skill. So they might have um, mistakes and setbacks with it. Let's see, Tiffany and Melissa both say two, right? So they, they want children who um, maybe can follow some of our limits and boundaries, but at the same time are free thinkers, are leaders. Um, and they have these goals that don't go along with obedience, even though sometimes as parents, we would really like to have a direct obedience, right? Okay, so let's see. So the first step in this five-step process is around mindset shifting. So when you see something happening in front of you where you know you're going to set a limit, take a moment, take a breath, get yourself calm so that you can be that calm, confident leader you know your kids need. And then come from a place of this is developmental, this is not personal, they're having a hard time, they're get, not giving me a hard time, and kind of say those pieces so that you can start this, um, the limit setting on the right foot, from the right place, okay? And so then the next step is to connect with your kids. Um, so the phrase uh, connect before you correct is printed and plastered on my walls in my house because it is a reminder that, um, that I need at times. Um, so with younger kids, this means getting down on their level, um, maybe touching them, connecting, talking about what they're doing. So um, for example, my two and a half year old um, was happily playing with markers on our, um, our little craft table that's in our playroom um, while I was preparing dinner one night. And usually she's louder and she got quiet. And I'm sure you all know the quiet that two and a half year olds have, right? Where all of a sudden they are silent and you have a little clue like, 
something is happening. And so it came out there and she was drawing on her hands, all on her hands and on the marker. And she, go, she told me, mommy, I draw on the table. And um, so I came over and I connected with her and I got down on her level and I said, oh, I see that you're drawing on the table and you've drawn on your hands too. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. And I said, oh, that was fun to draw on your hands. You don't normally get to do that, right? And she goes, yeah. And then is where you set the limit. So you connect, you spend some time connecting with that. Um, with an older child and um, sometimes with, with teenagers, that connection doesn't necessarily have to be so physical. Two and a half year olds to um, you know five and sometimes even six and seven year olds still need some help with self-regulation. Sometimes they can't stop themselves and you need to step in and help them stop themselves. So that's the getting close physically and connecting physically also helps you set the limit physically. Um, for older kids, they might not need that type of help um, as from a self-regulation standpoint. And so you can connect mentally and with your hearts. Um, so if you have a teenager who's having a hard time um, or maybe is, again, speaking to you in a disrespectful tone, you need to connect mentally and emotionally with them. Say, whew, you know, it, it sounds, you know, I, I, I'm hearing you have a lot of pent-up emotion or a lot of pent-up feelings right now. And then they'll probably blast you. Yeah, you're really angry. Let's talk about this. You know, and then you connect with them and then you set the limit of, you know, it's okay to feel mad. I want to help you with this problem. I don't like the way you spoke to me, you know, and you can set that limit. Um, but older kids, they don't necessarily always need the physical connection. Um, some do. Uh, kids have love languages too and getting clear on what their love language is can make limit setting quite a lot easier. There's a book um, that can help you figure that out. And you can also, I think there's online quizzes too, um, if it would be helpful for me to link. And then the next step, step three, um, is to set the limit, okay? And so this is when um, you use very clear language and you're very firm, but loving and compassionate, okay? And that is possible. Um, so with very young children and um, even kids in preschool um, to elementary, you may, again, have to physically set this limit. Um, you're already right there with them, and this is where you state it clearly and firmly, but with love in your voice, and then prevent them from doing what you're asking them to stop or help them to get started on doing what you, they need to be doing. Um, so for younger kids, I prefer language of I won't let you, so I won't let you hit your sister. I'm going to stop you. Um, or I don't want you to, I don't want you to draw on the table. I'm going to help you stop by moving the markers out of your reach for right now. We can do the markers again when I can be here to help you. Let's go get your hands washed. Okay, great. Um, so those are, those are some options. Um, uh, let's see, you could, with older kids, um, you can start offering some information that they may not have around why you're setting the limits. So with the marker situation um, with Evie, um, I swiped my finger on the table and said, look, when we draw on the table, then it gets over on people's hands. I don't want to have messy hands. Let's wipe it up. Um, with an older kid, um, you might be able to say something like, let's say they've set their cup of water right on the very edge of the counter. You can say, when I see the water cup at the very edge of the counter, I get nervous or worried that it's going to spill and I don't want to clean up. Um, a spilled cup of water if I don't have to. Uh, will you please put it back? Um, oh, yeah, please put it back um, towards the back of the counter so that it doesn't spill or so that it, it's out of reach. Um, and then also um, being clear about the behavior you would like to see. 
uh, is also really helpful. So um, in, um, instead of saying, don't climb on that, saying, please put your feet on the floor um, is helpful. And then let's see, Wendy says, thank goodness it wasn't permanent marker. Reaction might have been different. <laughs> yes, yeah. It, you know, the, um, this is one of the ways that we can set environments up for success um, for our kids. I purposely bought a cheap um, Ikea table that I was perfectly comfortable with getting ruined if it, if it happened to. And um, so I actively chose a table that I didn't mind getting ruined for their playroom with the knowledge that when they're older, I'll replace it with something else. Um, and that was be easy to clean. And yes, permanent markers are in my office out of reach, right? Yes, so setting them up for success is a key part of setting limits, right? Um, and so then after you've set the limit, um, let's see. Oh, wait, sorry. One other thing about setting limits is being sure to set the limit in a clear, firm way um, that doesn't give them a chance of um, giving you an answer back that um, you're not ready for. So if we end our questions with okay or with a question mark, like please, um, that gives kids an option of saying no. Um, and if no isn't really an option at that point in time, we want to make sure we're wording our questions or, you know, our requests properly. So um, when it's time to get your shoes on, say, it's time to get your shoes on. You know, would you like me to help you or would you like to do it yourself uh, is a good way to give them a choice in the matter. Um, but saying, it's time to get your shoes on, okay, let's make them feel like there's some wiggle room there um, that maybe there really isn't. Uh, now, of course, if there is some wiggle room, that's fine. But at the time when there isn't, then we need to be really clear. And then the next step is empathizing and validating. Um, and this is where you have to be really clear with yourself on uh, the fact that they don't have to like the limit that you're setting. They don't have to be happy about it, and they probably won't be. Um, so being ready to accept whatever emotion they have about the limit that you're setting and knowing that it is perfectly fine to have those emotions. That doesn't mean, however, that they're going to get to do the thing that you are telling them you don't want them to do or that they, um, you know, that, that they get out of the limit setting. Let's see. Um, let's see. Tiffany says, I have a bad habit of saying okay at the end of telling my kiddo that they need to do something. Yes, it's so hard. Yeah, it is so hard um, because what it, what it is, Tiffany, what I think, um, you know, and I, I know that I know you personally, um, is that we don't want to have a confrontation with our kids. We love our kids. We want things to be happy and smooth and we want them to be happy and um, smooth. And so adding the okay in there is, um, and I especially think it's part of our anti-confrontational um, culture. And so I, one of the things that's really helpful actually for, for parents is to practice being authentic with our kids. And an authentic parent doesn't worry about having a conflict with their kids. They know that they can handle it, that conflicts are a part of life, and that I can authentically state where my boundary is and be okay with the kind of the fallout from it, you know, that might happen. Um, and know that I can handle them being mad at me, that it won't be forever, that mad and sad, those moods change from day to day, and that we can handle it and weather that storm together. Um, Wendy, it says that this, this is the hardest part. Oh, um, enforcing the limit, keeping the limit, or um, acknowledging or validating their emotions, kind of accepting their emotions, whatever they happen to be. Is that the hardest part? 
Yeah, I think that really is. Sometimes, um, you know, I I remember working with some teenage teenagers and um, families with teenagers back when I was um, a family therapist, um, validating emotions. Yeah. So uh, the and the parents often just wanted their kids to do the things and be happy about it. I want you to clean your room and be happy about it. I want you to set the table and be happy about it. I want you to empty the dishwasher and be happy about it without the grumbling, right? And it's really important that as parents, we get to get really clear on where we have the power. So we have the power on the limit. You know, we have the control around the limit. We don't have the control around their emotional reaction to the limit. And so if we can let go of that and just accept it and allow it to wash over us, um, it can be incredibly freeing. And when we start accepting and acknowledging and validating those feelings, it's something magic happens with our kids where they feel seen and heard and all of a sudden, we're not on the opposite sides anymore. All of a sudden, we've come around and now we're on their side, helping them through this difficult thing that we're asking them to do. Um, so I have a good example from this morning. Um, those of you who are in my real life um, who saw me at drop-off know that I carried my crying five-year-old into school today. Um, it was so hard. It was a really hard morning. Um, he says, but the aggression, I'm okay with crying, yelling, and being by their side. Oh yes, the aggression. Yeah. So I had some aggression this morning, Wendy, maybe this will help you. So, um, my, um, my, uh, five-year-old Ellie, uh, who you maybe saw if you watched the live last week, um, didn't want to go to school today. Her, um, Babsha, which is the Polish word for grandma, had been here for almost a week for her birthday, which was yesterday. Um, and her Babsha was leaving and she was sad and she was going to miss Babsha a lot. Um, and she wanted to stay home. She didn't want to go to school. There was a lot of emotion around this. Um, and that emotion came out um, in anger uh, at me. Um, and so that's where you come with a, you don't want to go to school. You wish we could stay home today. I won't let you hit me. I don't want you to hit me. It's time to go to school. Let's get your boots on. Would you like me to put your boots in the car? Or can I, um, can I get them on for you? I can carry you out. You know, giving them options, giving them choices, but still with the ultimate goal of getting to the car and then blocking any aggression that happens. I won't let you hit me. No, I'm going to stop you filling your arms with love while you do it. It's easy to get to when we're being hit, you know, when we're being having aggression, um, to feel attacked and be a little bit aggressive back. And so it's really important to just infuse your arms, infuse your hands with gentle, loving touch as you block. And sometimes it's firm, but still loving, never out of anger. Um, and when you're saying, I won't let you hit me, actually make sure that you are stopping them. Because if you're saying, I don't want you to hit me, I won't let you hit me, and they are hitting you, you're sending them a very mixed message, okay? And so if they are hitting you, you stop them. You hold their hands, you get them in a hug so that they cannot hit you. Um, and you are physically strong. You are still stronger than these young kids. It gets different when they're older, but hopefully when they're older, if you have put the time in, um, now when they're younger, when they're older, they will have more self-regulation skills. But the idea here is that when they are in this mode, in this part of their brain where they are lashing out, they are in fight, 
flight or freeze mode. And this is coming out and fighting right then. And they cannot be rationalized with. They can't be talked out of it. Um, you just have to ride the storm of it in a calm, confident way, keeping yourself safe. Um, because when they're in this primal part of their brain, back here, um, this animal part of their brain where they're in this fight, flight, or freeze mode, the, the, their self-regulation skills are completely offline and they cannot be reasoned with um, and they need your help to stop themselves. They cannot stop themselves at this point. And so you need to help them stop themselves. Um, young kids at this age are still getting, um, becoming self-regulated and when they slip into fight, flight, or freeze mode, they're very much other-regulated. And so they need our help in controlling their bodies. Let's see. It's, um, Erica says, I have a hard time accepting not the feelings, but the growing uh, or the, the growling fierce look, looks right in their sibling's face, standing in my way, raging to let me know she's mad. Oh, that's so, that's so hard. Yes, Erica, the, one of the things though that, um, you know, I never knew how protective I would be as a parent until my older sibling hit my younger one for the first time. It, the mama bear came out of me and it, it almost didn't matter that the older one was my kid too. And so one of the things that helps me in those moments is to connect with the idea that both kids are hurting. Because the one who's raging and mad and angry and right, you know, growling in the other one's face, they would not be doing that if they were coming from a calm, centered place. There must be some underlying hurt. Anger like that is a secondary emotion. And so there is something softer going on. And so it's our job as parents to see past that anger and connect to the softness that's there, okay? And help them bring it out. And to the rage and the anger and the growling, to just ignore it. To just, to just speak under it, to what's underneath it. If that makes sense, Erica, I hope that was helpful. Um, the growling and the, uh, my daughter does this like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but the kind of like, get away, don't talk to me, you know, and I just have to let that, just let it roll off my back. Like I'm a seal and the water is just rolling off my back. Um, if that helps at all. And so Bethany says, this is what's happening at my house with my four-year-old all the time. Um, this is helpful. I need these reminders. Um, what if she continues to rage? Even um, if I stay calm and do these things, what if she continues to scream and scream and scream like she can't calm? Oh, that's hard. Um, so if we have been in a place where we have been um, not accepting their emotions and pushing their emotions down, telling them to stop crying, telling you know, them to calm down, um, to be nice, all of those things. We have to imagine that they have this um, imaginary backpack that they're stuffing their emotions into. And so the raging, the full-on nuclear meltdown, is what I like to call it, is them unloading their backpack, emptying out. And it's actually like physiologically and um, neurologically a healing event. And so um, if we can, again, shift our mindset to see these big emotions as healthy and normal and even desirable. Yes. Oh, thank goodness. She's having a meltdown. She's going to get it all out. And then my calm, sweet child will come back to me. Um, and being confident in that is really helpful. And the, um, I would choose a time, um, Bethany, I would choose a time when your child is not raging, when they're happy and connected and you're feeling good, maybe over a beloved game that they like to play, that sort of thing, um, where you 
connect with them and ask your child. So she's four, right? Um, ask your child what um, they would like in those really difficult moments. She's old enough to problem solve with you. You might have a few ideas on hand um, for what she might like to um, say, you can say, you know, honey, sometimes when you're really upset or have some big feelings, it's almost like it, you get stuck in them. Have you felt that way? You know, and I get stuck sometimes too. And these are some of the things that I do to help myself get unstuck. And you might tell even a few stories, even if they're made up of a time when you were stuck in an emotion and maybe your mom helped you out of them or your partner helped you out of them um, and say, what do you think? What, what could help you get unstuck? And just get curious with no pressure um, and see. And then in those big moments, pull those tools out that she has kind of validated that those things might be helpful, um, things to try. And, you know, I don't advocate for using distraction with our kids, even with very young babies, um, because it's a distraction is a discipline tool that doesn't work for very long. And I think it's disrespectful to kids. I, and I, I think it doesn't serve our ultimate goals of creating a long attention span and good executive functioning skills, right? Because, because distraction is just capitalizing on their short attention spans that, is that they have developmentally right then, right? And we want them to be growing. Um, but um, the, I, when they are stuck in an emotion, there is, there is I feel as a therapist, and um, the, I think sometimes the respectful parenting community might um, disagree with me here, so it's okay, this is where we get to pick and choose um, our perspectives. Um, but I feel that there is room for um, healthy distraction so that you can get some space from your emotions and get, um, so I think you can use those things as skills. As adults, that might look like meditating. It might look like taking a walk to cool off. It might look like um, listening to music or um, even popping in a TV show or reading a book that's unrelated to what is going on for yourself. And you can help kids find strategies like that. And I see that as being really helpful um, if they are stuck in, in emotions. Um, that doesn't mean we don't go back to them later and process them. And so that's one of the things. If so, if we are you, we're feeling stuck in an emotion, we can use a little bit of a distraction to get ourselves out of it, and we can help coach our children through that. And then we come back and validate the emotion when it's not quite so close. When I mean, we have a little bit of distance, and we can be a little bit more calm about it, if that makes sense. And when they are in full-on nuclear mode. Um, that is not the time to empathize or validate. That's the time to regulate your own breathing so that they can regulate themselves. That's the time to um, maybe make some validating noises like, mm-hmm, mm, yeah, <sighs> yeah. Um, most kids, when they're in that like nuclear meltdown space, they don't want you to talk to them. They say, don't talk to me or make the kind of the growling noise <laughs> that really speaks clearly, get away from me, you know, don't talk to me. Um, and they don't want to hear it. For some kids though, they do like to be talked through the process um, too. Like, do you want me to tell you what happened? And then you kind of tell the story of what just happened and that can help calm them down so they can see the A to B. Um, I think for, especially for little kids, sometimes things move really fast, especially if we're treating a limit setting opportunity as an emergency. Um, thing, the limit can happen really fast where all of a sudden they were doing something and really enjoying themselves. Like for example, it, with my daughter who was drawing on her hands 
if I just came in, swooped in and grabbed the pen, that would be really upsetting to her um, because it happens so fast and she's so little that her processing capability, her brain can't process things that fast. And so slowing down and moving slow. And so if I made the mistake and grabbed it away, I might be able to go back and take her through what happened and explain it to her a little bit more. And that can help her calm down and be a little bit more regulated. I don't know if that helps um, at all. Let's see, Erica says that's a good um, reminder for my tween too. Good, okay. And Wendy says, I wish I was like that. Um, it was like that, that he could cry and get it out. He seems to ramp up and yells at me. Um, to, and when I tried to problem solve with him, he said, don't talk to me about that. Mm. It's, it's so hard. Okay, Wendy, you and I are going to talk about this together, okay? And Bethany says, um, oh, Wendy says, I've taken to reading to him as a distraction during those full-on modes. I, you know... Wendy, I, I think that maybe the respectful parenting community would disagree with me a little bit, but if that's working for you, I think you should absolutely keep doing it, um, especially if you can find a story that speaks to him, that calms him, that kind of that ritual, the routine of it can be really nice because um, rituals and routines are really calming to kids' nervous systems. And so I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think you're teaching him a lovely skill that sometimes we do need to distract ourselves to get out of a hard time. Okay, so we've done four steps. Um, the first one is to change your mindset. The second one is to connect, get down on their level. Um, the third one is to set the limit firmly and clearly and, um, the, and hold the limit. Um, and then the next one is to empathize and validate and kind of get to come to a place where you can accept their big emotions so that they don't have to like the um, limit that you're setting. And the next one is offering alternatives and choices. Um, so this is where um, we get into some more collaborative parenting where we're not just the heavy hand laying down the law. Um, so we might offer um, choices like with my daughter when it was time to clean up the marker that she'd drawn all over the table. Um, I might offer her a series of choices all around how it's going to get cleaned up, especially if she digs her heels in and gets herself into a position where she says, no, I'm not cleaning up. Um, and then there's also um, some room for flexibility on this. Um, as our kids get older, they might start offering solutions to the limit. Um, and I know for me personally, as a parent, I run into a fear of being permissive. Does anybody else have that? A fear of being, being permissive? Um, where I feel like I have gotten this message that I have to have really firm boundaries. And I think sometimes I run into um, a place where I'm not flexible enough. Um, or I even maybe even slip into like a bitter bit of frustration and even pettiness. So this morning um, during the, um, the big meltdown that my daughter had on our way to school, um, she had carried out one of her stuffed animals to the car um, and then in anger threw it down onto the floor of the dirty um, garage. And so I tossed it into the car and she was, she flipped out. She didn't want it in the car. Um, and I had already gotten into the car, uh, and shut the door and I said, I'm, I don't want to get back out and I don't want to take, you know, to take it back in. Um, that probably was a moment where I could have been gracious and I could have bent a little bit that she had, she was having a really hard time and, um, I could have given her, her something, you know, just get thrown her a bone basically that maybe would have allowed to change the tone of the, um, of the interaction, if that makes sense. So, um, but I didn't, but, and I kind of knew that I was being a little petty. Um, it was in my head, you know, sometimes it's, 
the parenting can be like we're watching a car wreck in slow motion and it's like uh, why am I saying these things as they're coming out of my mouth? So um, this was one of those moments for me. And um, I realized after we had already pulled out of the driveway that I forgot um, a notebook that I needed for a consultation that I was going to after I dropped off. And so I um, drove back up to the house and I said, I have to go back inside. I forgot my notebook. And my daughter in the like stopped screaming and in the like just dead stopped it and said please take you know the penguin in when you go in and get your notebook um and i said sure i'll go do that now me you know i could have said no and been, held that limit but that limit didn't make any sense and um she needed that from me she needed some grace from me she needed me to model graciousness to her um i think our kids need that a, a lot when we're asking them to clean up too so um, with my two and a half year old with cleaning up the markers, um, she washed her hands willingly. And then I said, okay, it's time to clean up the table. And she said, no. And I said, we need to clean up the table. Cause again, I showed her this wipe. It will get on our fingers if we don't clean it up. Uh, would you like to wipe it or would you like me to wipe it? Um, and she said, I, that she wants to wipe it. And so she did a wipe and then she threw it on one wipe and she <laughs> threw the towel on the more ground and she said I'm not doing anymore and I said oh great well you helped me a lot thanks for wiping and then I wiped up the rest it was easy to do um and she um, did help and so I chose to value the the little step that she gave me and um to then model graciousness and help her clean up the rest um if that makes sense okay so there you have it setting limits in five simple steps I hope that you enjoyed this episode and don't forget that if you want to find out that last step, the one that's really going to take your relationship with your child to the next level and keep you feeling um, connected, even in the midst of setting limits with them, I want you to join me in Respectful Parenting 101. Just go to laurafroin.com slash RP101. And hopefully I'll see you in there. We have some amazing bonuses happening right now, but doors are only open for just a couple more days. Um, so please come in and join us. I'll see you there. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right, that's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.